Welcome to Dream Business Radio, the place to create your dream business now. Get ready for some inspiration, some encouragement, some proven business building strategies, and a couple of new ideas that you haven't even thought of. It's time to leave slow and steady as she goes to the other entrepreneurs, because this program is all about speed and fast results. And now, broadcasting from his floating home somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, the dream business coach himself, Jim Palmer. Well, good afternoon, everybody. This is Captain Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach. I have such an exciting interview for you today. John McDonald is my guest, and he's the founder and president of The Good, which I'm like, where's the rest of the name? No, The Good, that's actually the name of the company, which is pretty exciting. He is, it's a conversion rate optimization firm that helps brands convert more of their existing website traffic into buyers. So who doesn't want that? The Good has unlocked results for some of the largest online brands, including Adobe, Nike, Xerox, The Economist, and more. John regularly contributes content on conversion optimization to publications like Entrepreneur and Inc. He knows how to get visitors to take action, which I'm really excited about. I told John most of my clients are doing a slightly less than $50 million. <laughs> so we're going to try and tailor some of the uh, information to you. And John, how are you doing today? Great. How are you? I'm doing good. And as I um, note, you and I chatted a little bit in the green room, you're in the Pacific Northwest where you're, you're used to rain on a regular basis and we're in a major storm. So for some reason, if the interview goes a little wonky or my voice cuts out a little bit, I, I think we'll get through it. Not a problem. Well, I appreciate you having me today. Yeah. So John, I'm, I'm curious. I'm question I usually ask all my, um, all my guests. Um, I'm always curious about their entrepreneurial the gene, right? Um, are you a first-generation entrepreneur? Do you have parents or grandparents that encouraged you, or what was what was your path? Well, I'm definitely first-generation, uh, but you know, my father worked for for the government, so that's not probably at least entrepreneurship you can have. Yes. Um, but you know, at the same point, they always encouraged it and supported me. Uh, it starts way back in, you know, I, I had a paper out starting in in fifth grade. And kept that paper out all the way through high school and did that to to get a scholarship actually for college um, that the newspaper was providing. It's not very common anymore. You see fifth graders out on bikes tossing newspapers, but it was a great entrepreneurial journey. Uh, It really taught me how to do some simple accounting and uh, everything that was necessary to, to run a business today. Yeah, I think the the old newspaper is going by way of the wagon wheel pretty soon, (laughs) you know, the way people consume information. But, you know, but I I do remember, you know, I mean, the thing you learn about having a paper is you've got to go around collecting, there's customer service issues. So it really is, you know, if somebody's smirking out there, it really is a proving ground for, for early entrepreneurship. It's true. And I actually just had a conversation with somebody about this, uh, this past weekend. And that was that I really found an enjoyment for sales. And what I mean by that is just having conversations and relating with everyday people because I had to go, part of the having a paper out back then was to go door to door selling the newspaper. So I would actually go out with the area manager a couple times a month in, you know, in the evenings and we'd go to neighborhoods and just go to door to door and try to sell the newspaper. And oh, that's pretty tough knocking on was, doors. Right. And so I learned a lot about just how to relate to people, how to understand what they were looking for and how, 
you know, the newspaper or whatever I'm selling might be able to help them do that. And what I found very early on, and this still applies for me today, is that, look, you're not going to just push something onto somebody. You're not going to just sell them, right? It's all about helping them understanding what pain need they have and then using that uh, pain or need to and understand if there's a good mutual fit there to help your product solve that pain or need. And that's really all website conversion optimization is, right? Is having a good understanding for why somebody's at your website, what they're looking to accomplish, and then serving that is the best that you can. If I gave out awards, I'd have to give you an award for the best transition ever in an answer because you transitioned <laughs> right in there. That, you're like, Jim, stop talking about paperworks or paperworks. <laughs> no, that was great. So I'm just curious before we dive into the, the meat of the subject, when you went to college, what, what was that for? I went to college for, I got a dual degree in computer science and visual arts. So two- Holy smokes. Right? I mean, talk about your training. Two completely different uh, worlds. Those departments had never spoke to each other. And here I was like, hey guys, I want a dual major. I need you to talk to each other so I can do this in four years. And they made it, they helped me make it happen. Wow. When you came out of college, John, did you work somewhere or did you really just want to get start your own business? Or, Well, I knew I had that entrepreneurial spirit. And mm-hmm. I was doing a ton of freelance, even in college. I was um, helping manage and run the college website. Uh, I did all the, I played basketball in college. I'm six foot seven. Um, but I, I ran the entire athletics department's website and helped them redesign it and build it and just managed all that on freelance. And so I kind of had a small little business going uh, that, you know, had a few local clients and, and I really enjoyed that aspect, getting through college and just making some extra money. But when I graduated, I ended up going to work for a startup ad agency. Now, a startup ad agency, it was two guys, Madison Avenue, who, you know, from New York, who came to Ohio and Cleveland to be specific, because that's where I went to school. It was outside of Cleveland. And they started an ad agency and they knew nothing about digital. And so their whole thing was, hey, I have an idea. Let's go hire a kid right out of college who has the perfect background of computer science and visual arts and ask him to run our digital team. And so right out of college, I was thrown into the fire. I remember having been on the job maybe three months and I was sitting in the room with the CMO for Coke. Is that right? It was just, I, they had all these connections from their years of advertising in Manhattan and they were able to, you know, pull in some big name businesses. Um, and they had scored this meeting with the CMO of Coke to talk about a campaign that was happening in the Midwest. And they needed a website for it. And the, the CMO and I were sitting across the table from each other and he's asking me questions. And now he wasn't super technical. It's back then it wasn't, you know, CMO's job to know that much about digital either. It was just kind of a newer thing. And... I must have answered him correctly because we won the job and then I found myself thrown into the fire having to figure out how to do everything I had promised. And uh, that kind of led me to um, the wonderful world of Flash. And I don't know if you remember Flash, it's not really much of a thing now, but um, you know, it was really where all the creativity was happening mixed with programming online for for a good number of years uh, before Steve Jobs famously killed it. And uh, by saying he wouldn't support on, on uh, the iPhone or uh, most Macs at the time. So it was really, a, a, you know, a, a fun beginning in entrepreneurial journey. 
That's awesome. So when did you start your company? So we've been in business, uh, we're in our 11th year. Wow. And how, why, how did you come to the name The Good? Well, our mission is to remove all of the bad online experiences until only the good ones remain. Oh, there you go. I knew there'd be a good reason for that. <laughs> so what exactly is a conversion rate optimization firm? Is that different than SEO? Oh, polar opposite. And here's okay. why. So search engine optimization or SEO is all about driving traffic to your site, okay. right? getting people to show up at your door, mm -hmm. right? Conversion rate optimization is about helping make sure that those people who are already coming to your site convert at the highest rate possible. So we help brands to convert more of that existing website traffic into customers. Very cool. Can you talk a little bit about how you do that? And if it's different for, you know, say a, a six figure to mid six figure entrepreneurial company versus you know, a larger company, or is it just a question of scale? I think it's a question of scale. The same underlying tactics and the same underlying, uh, you know, philosophies apply. And here's the thing you'd be shocked at how many of these large corporations we work with uh, that they're not doing the things that we would recommend to the two hundred thousand dollar a year company. Mm -hmm. And so it's really the fundamentals are the same and it is a question of scale at that point. Um, now what we do is we help brands to track every click and movement that people are taking on their site. Now we do that in an aggregate fashion. Right, So there's no privacy concerns. What we're looking at here is making sure that we understand where people are dropping off in the conversion funnel, what content they're engaging with, or sometimes more important, what they're not engaging with. Uh, and we use all of that data to help understand how do we improve the consumer experience on the website. Now, really the goal here is to gain empathy for the person on the other side of the screen that you normally can't see. So it seems to me, first of all, there's got to be a tremendous trust factor for, for you with your clients, right? Because you're getting to see everything under the hood, so to speak. But you also, I, and maybe, I, I agree, it sounds like what you're doing is polar opposite. But one of the things I think may be a little bit similar to SEO companies is there's got to be a pretty big learning curve, right? So for the people who are hopelessly impatient and think that you're going to turn them around in 14 days, that's not reality, right? Look, there are some things that you can do to your site that will, will help immediately, but a lot of folks come to us and say, hey, I need to double my conversion rate. Can you fix it for us? Yeah. And the answer is yes, but it's going to take six months, right? Mm -hmm. And the, pro the best way to be thinking about conversion rate optimization is kind of like a 401k or a retirement account where you're putting a little bit in every month, right? And then that continues to grow and compound over time right? So that's the best way to think about this. We want to increase your conversion rate a little bit every month. And we want to do that in a sustainable way. Now, there's a lot of ways to increase your conversion. You could, everybody here who's listening can double your conversion rate right now. Just lower your product price to next to nothing or market on a huge sale and then advertise it. You'll sell more, I promise you. But discounting is not conversion rate optimization. That's just margin and profit drain right? We right. want to do this in a sustainable way. And so that means we're not talking about what are the best promotion techniques or what are the best discounts you can apply, things of that sort. That's not conversion rate optimization. Conversion rate optimization is understanding why people aren't taking the actions that you want them to take on your site and what's missing so that they would take those actions and then giving that to them.
Where, where do you stand with the whole funnel thing? I mean, you know, I, there's a lot of, I mean, I think funnels have been around for a long time. They might just have been renamed or, or kind of, you know, reshaped, whatever. But ultimately, if someone visits a website, you want to you want to collect their name and email and then exchange for some information and then take them down this process. Is, are you, do you agree with that or is it something different? I think that that's accurate. I mean, okay. I think, you know, you really want to understand what your conversion funnel looks like. And I think a lot of brands that we engage with, they still don't have a clear map of what their engagement uh, funnel looks like. Now, what I mean by that is, are people coming in for your homepage or are they coming directly to a product page? Are they coming to some other landing page that your ad campaign is sending them to? Or, you know, where are they going after that? And can you map out where people are going throughout your site? Now, there's a great view in Google Analytics and you have to dig around for it a little bit because let's be honest, Google Analytics is free from Google because it's really set up out of the box to help you buy more ads, right? And so mm-hmm. it's kind of self-serving in that regard. But there's some great data there that you should really be paying attention to. There's one view that it looks a little bit like a octopus, and I'll tell you why. You start out on the left and it has all these tentacles that go throughout all the other pages, and you can click on one of them and it will show you how many people took that path from one page to the next and then where they went from there. And so each level, you can kind of get an idea of where the people are going from page to page to page and the path that they're taking through your site. Now, the idea of this is to understand the vast majority of people coming to your site, what is the conversion path that they're taking? And is that the path you want them to take or are they finding and going someplace that you wouldn't recommend? So you mentioned earlier um, whether people are going to a product page or a website. Um, is I probably there's probably no one answer, but I'm curious about you know landing pages or if that's what you call a product page versus a website like a home page. I mean, mm-hmm. ultimately, if someone's putting uh, money into paid traffic, you want them to land on a specific site, not necessarily a home page. Is that correct? I would think so. Yes. Uh, you know, a homepage is going to be your, one of your lowest converting pages of your site. Okay. Not only is that because that's likely what's going to come up in organic results. Like if somebody just searches your brand name, for instance, or your main product, they may end up at your homepage. Um, and so you're going to get a lot of traffic to that page. That's not, that's just going to bounce off the homepage and that's okay. But really where I would recommend sending people is to a very specific ad that has a very specific target that sends them a very specific page that aligns with both the ad copy and the target of who you're trying to reach. Got it. And is that, is that part of what you do, John, when, when you come to somebody, do you, you look at all of those, all of those different elements? We look at all of those different pages, but really what we want to help brands do is make data back decisions. So, well, there's really four pieces of data that every website should be looking at. And these are all can be done for free or very, very inexpensive. Now, the first is analytics. Now, we already talked a little bit about Google Analytics. It's free. It's a great tool. You can go in and customize the dashboards and get the pieces of information you're looking for very easily. Highly recommend that you do that. Uh, every brand should be looking at things like seasonality, uh, what are the trends of traffic and purchases happening on your site? Where are people coming from? How, you know, what are the most engaged pages? Things of that sort. That's all through analytics. 
And it's just good to be paying attention to that on a regular basis. And what I mean by regular, daily or at the most weekly. Most people don't even look at it maybe once a month. The problem with that is that you're not able to really see the trends and notice those because you're not looking often enough. Make sure you're looking at analytics on a regular basis, ideally daily. It doesn't have to be a long thing, just five minutes. You'll start to notice trends that are really, really valuable. So that, that's the first piece of data. Cool. Okay. Keep going. Thanks. Yeah. Second piece of data is heat maps. Now, heat maps tell you how people are engaging with your site. What I mean by that is you can get heat maps based on mouse movement and eye tracking. You can get it based on clicking, where people click on your site. It's often called a click map. Or you can even get something called a scroll map. This is how far down on every page are people scrolling. Now, a heat map basically shows you uh, different colors on the screen on top of your site uh, where things are red, they're going to be the hottest, and then it cools off from there. So red, yellow, green, blue, etc. And the idea here is, is to understand, you know, a, a normal heat map is done based on mouse movement. So where's a mouse cursor on a desktop site? And where do people leave their mouse cursor? Where are they moving their mouse cursor? And the trick behind that is that on a desktop computer, and most people don't realize this happens, but your eyes are following your mouse cursor around the screen. So a heat map that's based on mouse movement can really tell us what people are looking at on your site. Mm. It's a nice little hack. Now, you can, based on this, understand what content people are engaging with and what content they're not engaging with, right? And that's probably almost even more important is where are people not looking on your site? Uh, where are they not engaging with that you want them to engage with? Is there a key piece of information about your products, or your services they're not seeing? Um, and then, you know, a scroll map is, will tell us, do you need to reorder the content on your page? Does everybody drop off at a very similar point on your page? Maybe they get bored at some point or they just figure the page isn't useful anymore or, and they're not seeing a key piece of information that you need to move higher up on the page. And then there's that click map I talked about. And the best piece of information here is, is what I like to call rage clicking. Now, pretty funny name, but rage clicking is where people who are, think something is clickable on your site, but it's not. And they sit there and they just keep clicking on it over and over <laughs> and over. I've done that. That's so funny. Yes, right? And so the click map will tell us where people are clicking on your site. It gives us some information about what nav items they're engaging with or things like that. But I always find rage clicking to be the funniest example. So you have analytics and you have heat maps. Now heat maps, uh, you can get for cheap to, to very, very inexpensive, I think $9 a month. There's a great tool called Hotjar, H-O-T-J-A-R. Go check that out and put that up on your site. You put a little snippet of JavaScript into the header of your, your site source code. And what you get out of that is all of these types of data I just mentioned. Um, so really, really helpful engagement data. Now, if you pay attention to that data, look at it once a week, you will have some really good uh, feedback and um, examples of uh, how people are engaging with your site and, and what you need to, to change. What a great tip. John, I'm curious about, um, you know, what, what you need to call uh, bait or opt-ins, things like that. Has the mm -hmm. actual the the piece whether it's a pdf or a white paper or an audio or whatever has that changed over the years or is it just very dependent on the type of business well i think that the what has changed is that people are a lot 
more hesitant to give their email address now. And you'll see all the time, uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of uh, eliminating email pop-ups from the internet. If I could eliminate two things from the internet, one of them is going to be email pop-ups. Here's why. Imagine if you walked into a retail store and you took one step into the store and a retail associate popped out in front of you with a clipboard and a pen and said, give me your email address. You're going to have a pretty negative reaction to that, right? Yes. And, you know, it's really, nobody thinks about that when they put these on their website because they can't see the reaction of the people on the other side of the screen. But it's really disruptive to the flow of the consumer. They're at your site because they were driven there because they have a pain or a need. And they believe that your site or your product can help them solve that pain or need. And so they're there to do research and understand if that's true. And if it is, they want to convert or buy or give you their information so you can contact them as quickly and easily as possible. Now, anything outside of that is just going to disrupt your conversions. And that includes doing a pop-up that says, hey, send me your email address. Uh, we'll give you, you know, some PDF, something of that sort. Now, where that stuff is helpful is when it's helpful to the consumer right? So if they are in the middle of their research process and you have a piece of information that you think can really help them make a better informed decision about whether there's a good mutual fit there or if there's some piece of information that is actually valuable and you would typically sell but is worth it to you to get an email address so you can put them into a follow-up flow or, or something like that, then great, send it along. The other thing I've seen a lot recently, actually, Jim, is I have seen a lot of especially B2B brands um, who are eliminating those forms altogether and just offering the, the information. And then at, inside that PDF or video, then they make their pitch after they've provided the value. And that seems to be going a lot better because you'll get way more people to actually engage with that piece of content because you're not requiring an email address, which people are hesitant to, to provide. That's another, boy, I can, I've lost track of the good tips you've given already. Um, and the clock is ripping by. So John, let's, let me ask you about email real quick. I mean, some people say, oh, email's dead. I don't happen to believe it, but it's certainly getting tougher and tougher to get your emails into somebody's inbox. But do you, is there a rule of thumb for how much you email when somebody opts into your, uh, your lander page? Well, look here at the good, we send an email once a week. Okay. We're consistent with it. We always start the headline, this or subject line the same so that you can filter it. Uh, we make it easy to unsubscribe if you want to. And, you know, we've got hundreds of thousands, well, tens of thousands of people on that list. And so, you know, it's something where if you're providing value, it will be welcomed in the inbox. But if you're just trying to promote to me on a regular basis, and it's not something I'm, you know, really going to be helpful to me, I'm likely going to unsubscribe. But here's the thing, you know, um, if you're an e-commerce site, email is going to be your highest converting channel. Think about that for a moment. How much are you spending on AdWords or social ads, Facebook, whatever, right? None of that's going to convert anywhere near as high as the free channel of email. And email basically is free these days, right? Right. So, 
if you're thinking about it in that way, it is really valuable to collect email addresses. You just have to do it in the right way and set expectations about what people can expect, how often you're going to email them, what are they going to get in their email inbox, and then go from there. Very cool. Um, that's a great tip. I saw in your blog, um, I was checking out the blog at, uh, at thegood.com, and you had a an article back from June, it was how product reviews can drive or dive sales. Mm. I see those all the time. And I'm sure I think that's a pretty interesting, interesting strategy where you're, you're searching for something and you come up to what you think is a, a, uh, a review site. And it's actually, you know, typically uh, you tell me, is it typically done by a, by a company that's specifically doing that? Well, I think the whole idea here is that social proof, which is what I would put reviews under, right? This is really, really helpful for consumers to understand uh, what other consumers think about your product. Now, there's a couple of things to be thinking about with reviews. The first is that consumers who are coming to your website, whether that's B2B or B2C, they are going to trust what other people have to say on your site more than what you are going to say as the, as the site owner or, or brand. So it's important for you to have that information out there. Now, the second thing is that consumers will use these reviews as a means of understanding you know, questions, uh, answers to questions that aren't answered by your website. Now, what I mean by that, say you're selling clothing online. People will look at the reviews to say, is the, does these sizes run small or do they run big? And how does that fit go? Uh, is, it, is it more, you know, does it fit better or not? And the whole idea behind that is, is that they're going to trust what other consumers have to say because the brand isn't going to be able to provide that nuance. Right. So reviews are really helpful in that way in addition to the star ratings. Right, the star ratings are what they are. Um, people look for them, and they, you know, how many times you've been on Amazon and you've made a decision because something has a better star rating. But they also, how many times have you seen an all five star star rating on Amazon? And you said, mm, I don't really trust that. Right. So it really, and the reason I say that is that if you have all five star ratings, you're unlikely to be as trustworthy as four and a half stars. And that's because we all know that person on the internet who likes to complain about everything and is going to leave a less than five-star review, no matter right. what. That's right. So if you don't have any lower than five-star reviews, you're actually really hurting yourself. And what that signals to consumers is that you've scrubbed your reviews of all the negative ones. Now, the best way to handle those instead, and this is something else consumers are actually looking for, our research has shown this, is to get on to re the negative reviews and reply to them publicly. Just say, hey, I understand you had this concern. Uh, we want to make this right. Here's how you contact customer support. Let them know that Jim sent you, right, whoever you are that's leaving the feedback. And uh, at the same time, you know, if, uh, if you know, you're just unhappy and want to return it, you can, you can do that or whatever, right? And the idea there is is to show consumers that you are, A, paying attention, B, will respond to challenges and see that you care. Yes. And that's the biggest thing that they're going to be concerned about. They're not concerned about that person who left the, pack, you know, left the review that said the box was damaged when it arrived. They know that's not your fault, that that's you know, FedEx's fault, 
right? But at the same point, the person left the review. Now, if you respond and say, I'm really sorry that that happened. Here's how we go about fixing it. Give, you know, send me your info here, something like that. Then as a consumer, I know I can trust you. John, what a fantastic interview. I, I, I lost track of the value, the value bombs you dropped there, but I'm really excited to share this and, um, uh, with my audience. How, I'm sure people are going to want to connect with you and learn from you and uh, the blog I mentioned. So if, if you can give out your information, that'd be very helpful. Yeah, of course. Uh, you can find a lot more out about The Good at thegood.com. That's just T-H-E-G-O-O-D.com. And uh, you can sign up for our email at the bottom of the page. Just scroll all the way down to the footer. It will say uh, Insight Sign Up. Go ahead and just sign up there. You'll get those weekly emails with tons of educational content like this. None of it's ever a sales pitch. The idea is to be as helpful as possible as you get to the size and, and uh, to the point where you would like some help with these type of items, we're there, we're available um, to do that. If you have any questions specifically, uh, feel free to email me directly. I try to read every email. It's just john, J-O-N, at thegood.com. John, thank you so much, man. I, I hope maybe in a, um, a few months or so I can reach out and get you back because I barely scratched the surface, but I really appreciate your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Be happy to come back anytime. Awesome. Hey, folks, that wraps up this very special interview with John McDonald from the good, T-H-E-G-O-O-D.com. Connect with him there and learn from him. I'm, I'm going to be personally signing up for his email and uh, his weekly email because it sounds like I'm going to be able to learn a thing or two. Um, until this time next week, another fantastic interview on Dream Business Radio. I'm Captain Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach. You take good care. Now it's time to go implement what you've learned. Great ideas are nice, but results only happen through action and implementation. So stay focused. Kick all distractions to the curb. Sleep a little less if you have to. And create your dream business now so you too can live your dream lifestyle. To learn about building your dream business, join Jim's free Dream Business Facebook community at dreambizgroup.com. That's dreambizgroup.com. See you next week for more Dream Business Radio.